Thank you all for coming and joining us here today as we gather for the worship of God. It is a beautiful day and a good time for us to be together as family of faith. And I thank you for coming to be part of this. If this is your first time here, welcome. We are glad to have you. Uh, there should be a Connect card in the pew rack in front of you. We would ask you to take that and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome. We are glad to have you as well. You can go to the address you'll see on your screen and write us and let us know that you've been with us. If you have prayer concerns, please write us and we will be happy to respond to it. But we're glad that you've joined us as well and we look forward to all of us being able to worship and celebrate together. Tim Sador and Patricia are with us today. Uh, they were, they taught at Virginia Tech when I first met them, were members of this church and then uh, they fell from grace and left us. And so they actually moved to New York City where, where Tim, where they both teach uh, English there. And uh, Tim is also a campus minister there. We ordained him to the ministry to be a campus minister there in New York City. And they have come back for what they call their annual pilgrimage to be with us. And Tim's going to be bringing our message today. Thank you. We're glad that you're here. We have gathered here to worship. Let's join our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for this day. We ask your blessings upon everything that has happened and will happen through this church. We know, O oh God, that your spirit is with us in power and in strength, and we know that you have come to meet us here as we have gathered. Let your spirit fall upon us and help us to worship you fully and completely. Help us to expect you to do things through this service that we would never have imagined without you. Come to us, O oh Lord Jesus. And help us to praise you well, for it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Oh God, it's good to be in this place together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To come together on this Sabbath day that you have set aside for us together as a community of faith. We thank you that you're with us as we sing together as we pray together, as we hear the proclamation of your word, and as we have heard testimony of how you're using two people to share the gospel with others around the world. Oh God, your joy is our strength. Your joy is our shield. You are our provider. You are our protector. You are our very present help in times of trouble and difficulty. And when we lift our eyes up to the mountains as we do each day here in the New River Valley, we realize you are the one who made those mountains. So as we worship you this morning, we come before you in awe. We come before you in wonder that you love us and that you care for us the way that you do. You know our inner beings better than we even know ourselves. You know the times that we often make a muddle of our lives. You know about the relationships that we have failed to maintain. You know about the gifts that you've given us that we have sometimes squandered. You know about our bodies that we have often abused. And you know about the mysteries of your kingdom that we have ignored. Yet you have continued to care for us and to be there when we needed you 
And so we express our gratitude to you. And we thank you. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus, the Christ, the firstborn of all creation, the one who was before all things and through him all things have been created on, in heaven and on this earth. And in him all things are held together. We thank you for his light that came and dwelt among us, for the blessings that flow from this, his life and his ministry, from his death and his resurrection. And we pray that you would remind us again and again, O oh God, that his light still shines forth in this world and that we are the people of the resurrection. We are Easter people that were formed for life, not death, for joy and not despair. Grant, O oh God, that whenever your church is gathered, as it is this very morning, that there may be a sense of triumph and a sense of eternity. Let your eternal peace reign this morning in our lives, and may it reign in the lives of those who we know and love, who face difficult circumstances that life sometimes brings us. Make us aware of the everlasting arms that support us and lift us up every day. Bestow hope and calmness of spirit in us. Oh God, may your spirit comfort and strengthen us during these days. Let the joy that is set before us outweigh any sorrow or any sadness that we may have. May the peace of Christ break out in our hearts and may the peace of Christ break out in this world that can be so full of violence and corruption and hate and hypocrisy and injustice. Make us, O oh God, your servants to those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are broken and disfavored, those who are lonely and oppressed. And may our hearts yield to your spirit that we may know your will and that we may follow your ways and having worshiped you in this place, this very hour, that we would go from here prepared to offer our spiritual service of worship in the days ahead. This is our prayer, O oh God, and we offer it in the name of Jesus, the one who taught his disciples to pray and who teaches us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we meet again. And as Tommy said, many of you know that Patricia and I left Blacksburg for New York City some years ago to teach English at our respective universities and by God's grace to engage in campus and urban ministries. In the Old Testament book of Jonah, a prophet by that name was sent to Nineveh, that great city, to preach. And I, but I dare say that if Jonah were sent to a great city to preach, 
Today, he would be sent to New York City. But not just because of its great evil, also because of its great souls. I love that great city. It is unclean, and it is unsafe, and it is crowded, but it is also dramatic and majestic. The late pastor and writer, Tim Keller, once noted that while there are 6,000 people per square mile in the city of Atlanta, and over 12,000 people per square mile in the city of Philadelphia, there are 60,000 people per square mile in Manhattan. 60,000 persons, each bearing the image of God. I have been blessed beyond measure to work in the field of souls in that great city, to have been ordained to that ministry by this church to do so, and to return this morning to be in this sacred space with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless these words as your words for your daughters and sons in Christ. Amen. The verse to which I would like to direct your attention this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My friends, my beloved, blessed, sophisticated, educated brothers and sisters in Christ, the idea that the Bible is hard to read is, I believe, overstated. I will grant you that it is profound, often deep, sometimes mysterious, but nothing could be more clear or profound than even the King James Version in this opening sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse is what great literature is. Everything we need to know is here. God created, God is in control. He is the engineer of creation, the architect, artist, artisan, dramatist, author, prophet, priest, and king. He is the author of all that is and all that will be. He breathes us into being. He creates us in his image. He is the God. He is the personal God. He is our confidant and counselor, our savior and redeemer. Finally, he is the unsurpassable, ineffable, consummate worship leader. Creation is complete in worship, in the creation story, when, quote, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. All of this is on page one. Seven words in Hebrew to begin. Seven paragraphs that follow. Seven days in the creation. All is well. And then, all is not well. By God's mysterious providence, sin enters the world. Our Bible plunges 
into a thousand-page landscape of stories, history, poetry, dramatic highs and lows and reversals, preaching, prayers, characters, great passions, great love, cosmic betrayals. It may seem disjointed or elusive or irrelevant, but this book is sublime. It's sublime from Genesis to Revelation, it moves, it works, it begins in worship in Genesis, and it ends in worship in Revelation. All will end well. I have to speak about the end times because I wanted to preach about the end times this morning. I conceived the whole of this sermon last summer after preaching here, somewhere around Buchanan or Lexington, as Patricia and I were driving north for home. I thought I should preach about Revelation, about the end times, because I'm qualified to preach about the end times. All my life, I've heard about the end times. I'm old enough to remember the threat of the Soviet Union and Israel, mentions of wars and rumors of wars, and Gog and Magog and Armageddon in the sermons of faithful, conscientious men who believed that the end times had come. My generation grew up with the Cold War, the Vietnam War, scandals, assassinations, and civil strife. My parents' generation, and some of them are still here, God bless them, grew up in the shadow of the First World War. They lived through the Great Depression, World War II, the Cold War, the Vietnam War. Some of our 19th century ancestors believed that the American Civil War was surely a sign of the end times. The nation was coming apart in the 1850s and 1860s. Jonathan Edwards, that fine American theologian, believed that the French and Indian War was apocalyptic because great nations were warring across oceans and continents in the 18th century. Martin Luther believed that the Protestant Reformation was the beginning of the end times because the church was splitting apart in the 16th century. I do not say this to disparage or dismiss their concerns. I am not in the trenches of the Somme River during World War I in 1916, or at the massacre at Cotton in 1939, or at Pearl Harbor in 1941, or the destruction of Warsaw in 1944, or Auschwitz, or Berlin, or Hiroshima in 1945. But if I were, I can imagine them as signs of the end times. We have our own uncertainties. Justly so. I do not dismiss concerns about the environment or the climate or nuclear weapons because the Bible assures us that the earth will pass away. The Bible tells us that heaven and earth will pass away. The book of Isaiah gives us the word on this. Isaiah 51, 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. But God... But God, salvation will last forever. His righteousness will never fail. The words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, at Matthew chapter 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God created. God is in control. We need this sanctuary. We need this book. We need these Lord's Day worship reminders of who we are in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. 
and where you came from as a son and daughter of the living God because our faith falters. Herman Melville, the American novelist who wrote what is arguably the great American novel, Moby Dick, missed that. He missed it. He wrote the great American novel, but he missed it. By his own admission, he could neither, quote, neither believe nor be uncomfortable with unbelief. He couldn't get what this service of worship is, a, is about. The key to this great novel is this sentence. He writes of the image of the ungraspable, ungraspable phantom of life, and this is the key to it all, the ungraspable phantom. He couldn't get, every, get it, but everything, everything is here. God created, God is in control. Which brings me to Andy Warhol. That name may not be familiar to everyone here, but Andy Warhol was quite the phenomenon as an artist in the 1960s. He was internationally famous. He was internationally influential. He lived a dissolute, even scandalous life, but he was a serious artist. And of his neighborhood in Pittsburgh, where he grew up and I grew up, and of his ethnic background, which I share on my father's side, he once said, quote, I come from nowhere. I come from nowhere. Ethnically speaking, there's something nondescript, even insignificant about his people, who are also my people. Outsiders, if they gave any thought to them at all, thought his nowhere people were either Ukrainian or Russian or Rusnak or Ruthenian or Slavic or Slavish. Carpatho-Ruthenian is most accurate, but who are they? What have they done? After all, the Italians have sculptors and poets like Michelangelo and Dante, and the Poles have science and music, Copernicus and Chopin. The Russians have Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Tchaikovsky. The Irish have James Joyce. The Scots have Robbie Burns. The English have Shakespeare. The French have Moliere. And you all, if I may say, have Faulkner and Flannery O'Connor and others. And I could go on, of course, but I come from the same kind of nowhere neighborhood and the same nondescript ethnic background as Andy. Andy and I come from nowhere. I say that, but Andy Warhol bore the image of God. And, pardon me, more to come. He was raised Byzantine Catholic, not Roman Catholic, but Byzantine Catholic, with its focus on icons and images. Warhol drew images and etchings, icons. It was pop art, but one of his gifts as an artist was to make the common uncommon, to make the common into the distinctive. At some level, his artistry bore the consciousness of the image of God in his soul. No one is from nowhere. No one is nobody. There is no nothing, and there is no nowhere. God is with us. God created. God is in control. 
Every detail matters. There are no idle brushstrokes. Sure, it's possible to be the bartender in Ernest Hemingway's short story, A Clean, Well-Lighted Place. When he looks out into the late-night darkness of a cantina and sees neither hope nor any signs of life in the darkness, reduced to despair, he declares that, quote, all, it's all a nothingness in this life and beyond, das nicht, the nothingness, our nada, who art in nada, he declares, that is, our nothing, who art in nothing, nada be thy nada, he continues. This passage is profane and offensive and untrue, but it is also ironic. It's ironic that a man bearing the image of God, given life through the breath of God, should declare that there is no God by that same breath, but he does. Even here, reduced to despair, he could not escape the form, the framework of language that led him to God's word. God is in the word. God is in the silence. We doubt, we fear, or we dismiss. God is merciful. God can deliver us from our doubts and fears. What is the highest method of knowing something? I submit to you, the highest source of truth we can possibly have is the Word of God. The testimony of the Word of God is higher than rational deduction, higher than empirical evidence, higher than historical testimony. The Bible surpasses any epistemological source known to human science or investigation. Another generation's preacher, whom I respect, once declared that the man is the message. The man is not the message. I am not the message. Even excellent pastors are not the message. Christ himself, walking through the congregation as the word is the message. Tommy brings us the message. Don McKinney brings us the message. Mike Lee brings us the message. Jesus Christ is the word, the word, the word with us. The sanctuary brings us into that presence. We may see it dimly, but the word, the word is here. I have one image to that effect, and this is not a sports analogy. The subway, the New York City subway, the four train, is elevated above ground in the Bronx. I know each st subway stop well. Burnside Avenue, 176th, Mount Eden, Ad Eden Avenue, 170th, 161st, 167th Street, and 161st Street. 161st Street, the train rolls past Yankee Stadium. A design feature of that stadium is a deliberate gap at 161st Street, one can see inside Yankee Stadium, left to right, as the train rolls past. The infield, the third baseline, the outfield, and the outfield stands, and that's it. One long second. It is a charming glimpse. Here, in this sanctuary, we have a glimpse, a glimpse of heaven, a view from here to eternity. It is fragmentary, it is incomplete, but it is here. I so value this space to be in worship with you.
As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have confidence, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. My father once told me that during a service in the Army Air Force during World War II, boot camp, if you will, there were times when he felt harassed or overwhelmed. However, the chaplain held the base chapel, a sanctuary, as a place apart, a safe space. You can always come here, the chaplain said. You can always come here. We need this space. I have two images and a conclusion. Image one, Patricia and I are in a large cathedral-like setting for worship. It's a few months ago. Very high church, very beautiful, a lot of incense. For a few moments, in the silence, just after communion, clouds of incense drift across the front of the church, the, the transept, if you can imagine, in sunlight as it happens. It's that time of day. It was that time of year, filtered through stained glass windows. It was very beautiful. No one says a word. The church is beautiful. The image is glorious, but the silence is holy. That's image number one. Incense and light and holy silence in worship. Life, death, life in communion. Together. Image two. The life, death, life experience of men who flew aircraft in combat missions together during World War II and faced death together and lived through it together. It was the Band of Brothers experience that you may have heard of. A life, death, life experience. And with it, a deeply felt love with every other man on the plane and with the plane itself, one flyer observes. Facing death together is perhaps the strongest ties, strongest of all ties among men. I dare say that we here have the same ties. Indeed, I would say we have the strongest of all ties. We're not airmen. We are not flying B-17 bombers over Europe during World War II, but we too live on a threshold between life and death. This is a safe space. All are welcome, but worship brings us to the brink of eternity. We gather to remember the drama of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ our brother, Christ our Lord. We reenact the drama of the creation story when we engage in worship. If I may put it this way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us to a new creation, the eighth day divine sequel to the creation story in Genesis, the Lord's day. God created, God is in control. The form for the baptism of infants, the Dutch Reformed tradition, declares that, quote, this life is nothing but a constant dying, unquote. A medieval Gregorian chant recursively declares these words from the Latin, media vita and morte sumus. In the midst of life, we are in death. 
But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, even when we were dead in sins, brought us to life in Christ. By grace, we are saved. One theologian writes that we rightly sense that death is at the center of love. And that seems very strong. Death at the center of love? No. Hear this from Song of Songs, chapter 6. Love is stronger than death. Without God's love, we are lost. In Christ, in our union with Christ, we are found, eternally found. That bond will not and cannot be broken. He will not let us go. His love will not forsake us. Everyone should feel welcome here. But we will walk in unsafe spaces. We will walk for the, through the valley of the shadow of death. God, however, God will go with us. Listen to the psalmist at, at Psalm 23 in the old King James Version. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A moment ago, I mentioned the medieval Gregorian chant, media vita in morte sumus, that is, in the midst of life, we are in death. Mercifully, Martin Luther gives us the final word. He does so by way of Genesis chapter 22 the sacrifice of Isaac, the climactic moment when Abraham binds his son Isaac as a participant in a sacrifice, but God intervenes. As translated, Luther declares, the father raised the knife, the boy bared his throat. If God had slept an instant, the lad would have been dead, but God was watching and all the angels. The father raised his knife, the boy did not wince. The angel cried, Abraham. Abraham, see how divine majesty is at hand in the hour of our death. We say, in the midst of life we die. God answers, no. In the midst of death, we live. And this is what I drove 414 miles to tell you this morning. The world threatens to crush you and me every minute of our lives, quote. It hurls insults, tribulations, pain, death, all the things that rob us of the joy that should be ours in Christ. It isn't because we have the power to defeat powers and principalities that we can defeat this. We don't. It is because Jesus Christ overcame the world for us. Hear these words. Chapter, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And now may the grace of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, abide and continue with us this day and in the remainder of this life until we shall be with him in the glory evermost. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for being with us again this year. We always look forward to seeing you all, and we're glad that you are with us today. As we leave this place today, let's go into our world knowing very well that we are in a battle with death, but God has control. God shines through us when we let him. Let's do the best that we can to show his love to the world and to show hope to the world around us. 
Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, everyone.